Chapter 14, The Coronation Another week passes with Artemis Orlean's coronation swiftly thrust upon them. This coronation serves as a means to show all of Kelsic that Artemis is to be the future queen of the land of Kelsic. Being of the age of thirty, Artemis will officially become part of the royal council and is finally decreed by the current queen as the chosen daughter and princess of the land of Kelsic. Twenty more years and she will come to the throne in place of her mother. Thrown in the celebration of Artemis being chosen as the next heir to the throne, this is the coronation of Artemis turning thirty years of age, and because of it, everyone wears their best. Helion, the eldest of the twenty-four elders of Kelsic, explains. Alright, so it's an important event. That doesn't explain why I have to wear the full Bursch uniform, Reuben complains. You must present yourself in a fashion appropriate for royalty, the elder explains further, leaning heavily into his wooden cane. One, you're here to guard as well. Courtesy of the Kingdom of Bursch, Fadar adds. The representative should be here shortly, actually. Guests from all around Azarus come to the Great Palace of the Land of Kelsic to attend the coronation of its future queens. From the Forest of Garvin, the seven gnomes of the High Council, bringing with them the words of the Treelings, a forgotten race from times past. Pulling up in miniature carriages pulled by the hares of Garvin, which are ironically larger than the gnomes they bring with them. This both impresses and amuses the guests. Among the High Council of Garvin, Fadar, one of their wisest members, has been at the palace for some time, eating many of the delicacies there. The invitation to the Forest of Garvin and the Kingdom of Bursch serves as a call to an alliance for Kelsic, otherwise the two countries would not have come. After today, the three countries will be negotiating peace treaties. Artemis is surprisingly excited that the three countries are coming together as allies. Reuben, Sane, and Than notice her smile is brighter than they'd ever seen before. If the negotiations continue to go well, they will eventually form into a six-country alliance. A bald gnome with a long silver beard by the name of Romulus leaps onto an elven guard's shoulder, taking him by surprise. The gnome bows to the future queen of Kelsic. The treelings of Garvin offer this advice. Be kind and generous, yet firm and fearless, and Kelsic will prosper under your guidance, future queen of Kelsic. Frange the Powerful quickly fills the room with his presence. The giant stands over thirty feet tall and hails from the upper region of Kelsic. Entering the ballroom, the double doors, twenty feet tall each, are barely tall enough to let this behemoth in. With him, his wife and son, who are equally as large. Once inside, they can fully stand under the four-story ceiling. A longtime ally of the elves, the giants pleasure themselves with bringing the largest gifts of all. From Frange, Artemis receives a full-grown flowering walnut tree from the eastern shores of Upper Kelsic. The giant places the potted tree in the center of the room, showing all he brought the biggest gift of all. From the mountains of Dwee comes Jarek Fellhammer, king of the mountain dwarves, along with several of his ambassadors. Dwarves wearing brown cloaks surround each of the ambassadors and the king, each hiding chainmail and a flintlock pistol in their garments. Their gift is a precious gemstone called a king's soul. This wispy white gem is as fragile as glass, but its reflection can brighten a room with a single ray of moonlight. King Fellhammer offers the jewel to Artemis himself in a single iron box with gold engravings. 
Slowly, he opens the box, the jewel refracting every strain of light in the room. A blinding light emanates from the stone, breaking the noise in the room as people stare at the princess and light overfilling the room. Artemis holds the box in her hands, closing it tight. Lifting her head, she smiles at the dwarven king. Thank you, it's beautiful. It pales in comparison to your own beauty, my future queen of Kelsic. Dolefully, the dwarven emperor, Emperor Dirch Calris, did not come that evening despite being like an uncle to the young elf. The northern states of Icelandic instead sent their gifts via the mountain dwarves, their reason for not attending unknown both to the queen and elders. A beautifully crafted ice sculpture of a Celtic royal moose made from a white ice. It's gorgeous, Artemis gasped, but how is it not melting? the princess asks. White ice, as our dwarven cousins call it, is designed to have a melting point of 800 degrees Celsius, so nothing less than lava can melt it, King Fellhammer explains. Is that even possible? I believe they mix water with a special white mineral that reflects heat, although the specifics of it are unknown to myself. That's incredible. Thank you for bringing this gift with you, despite the Emperor's lack of appearance. Much later, three of the nine elders of the Kingdom of Bursh and their families finally arrive at the coronation. Of the elders, Hina Vins, a female elf, and her two daughters arrive, each dressed for the occasion. Alec Warhammer, representing the dwarves of Bursh, and his wife arrive. Arthur Black, his wife, his three daughters, and two sons also arrive. Together, the three elders of Bursh offer their gift to Artemis. A book? Artemis asks with excitement. How did you know? Well, we do have many elves in our kingdom, many of whom fancy you a great deal, Arthur Black reasons. This book, in particular, is a must-have for anyone wanting to study human culture, Hinevins offers. It holds the current history of humanity with their rulers and major events down to their hopes and motivations. It is the history of Bursch. That reminds me, it is the Council of Elders that rule Bursch, if I'm not mistaken. Then why do you call it a kingdom when you have no king? Artemis asks respectfully. In truth, there are many in our kingdom that hold out the belief that someday the rightful king of Bursch will return wielding the legendary sword. As such, the Nine Elders simply maintain order in our king's absence, Arthur Black explains. You don't really think he's still alive, do you? The princess asks hesitantly. Why don't you read the book and tell me the next time we speak? I will then. Despite the representatives who come from afar to celebrate with the elves of Kelsic, all who attend this coronation wear their very best. Even Than and Reuben are wearing clean, fleshly crafted uniforms of Bursch. Unlike their regular uniforms, these ones are not blade-resistant or padded, making them feel lighter and unprotected. Retaining their burgundy color and double-breasted design, the only major change is the golden pin of a dragon each received from the council. This pin shows their military rank of cadet, and is only given to a knight of Bursch. Reuben gladly receives his pin, feeling it has now been earned but continuously fidgets with his black beret, a hat he dreads wearing. Than wears both his beret and a pin with pride, a sign of his courage and strength. His normally scruffy beard would have blocked the pin from view, but for the occasion he had it braided and trimmed, making the dark-skinned dwarf much more dapper. 
Artemis makes her way from guest to guest, showing off her glistening dark red gown that splits down the center, revealing the white ruffles underneath. The square neckline emphasizes her silver necklace. Frilly straps cover her shoulders while the dress's dark color makes her eyes an even fiercer shade of violet. Her snowy blonde hair is woven into two tight braids that meet in the back, forming a Dutch twist with bright red flowers complementing both her dress and hair. Even Ives, who has made the dress, can't help but admire her beauty. Tatiana also gains much attention from the guests with her beauty. She wears a long, elegant peplum with an off-shoulder neckline. Silver sparkles speckle across the torso of the dress, and her silver-chained sapphire necklace gives the dress focus. Her auburn hair lies straight on her back, contrasting against the royal blue dress. However, to everyone's surprise, it is Elizabeth Dace who draws in the most attention from the young men. She wears a turquoise maxi-style dress with a lace of the same hue that goes up the neck and serves as its sleeves. A golden necklace, jeweled with an emerald in the center, hangs from her neck. Beth's light brown hair is pulled up in a tight, neat bun with two silver pins holding it in place. As the three girls walk around, all attention is on them. Elizabeth makes her way through the crowd, turning every head as she goes. Quickly she finds Reuben and heads directly for him who hasn't even turned around since she entered the room. Taking a deep breath and mustering as much courage as possible, she taps him on the shoulder. As he turns around, his eyes widen at the amazingly beautiful girl in front of him. Beth, you, you look... I'm glad you made it, Reuben hesitates with a smile. Yeah, she replies, looking directly into his eyes. Wow, you look gorgeous, Beth. Doesn't she look gorgeous, Reuben? Than elbows him in the side, trying to key him in. She always looks beautiful, Reuben states simply. Reuben, Than yells at him as he and Beth stare into each other's eyes. You look stunning, Beth, Reuben expresses to her, his hand reaching up toward her face. Inches away from resting his hand on her cheek, he stops. His open hand becomes a fist as it drops to his side. You look amazing, he says again, turning away and leaving them in confusion. Thank you, she responds, looking down to the ground in disappointment. Than immediately takes after him, leaving Beth alone. The two stop with Reuben staring out one of the windows, looking upon the river outside. You know you can talk to me, so why are you acting like this? Than, I'm a soldier. I fight to survive. It's not like I'm ever going to settle down, and I don't even know who I am. How am I supposed to... You can just be friends, then. That's what I'm trying to do. It isn't easy. Nothing worth doing ever is, my friend, Than pats his solemn friend on the back. True. Remember, I'm always going to be here for you, Than reassures him. Thanks, Than. As the ball continues on, Beth finds herself dancing with many of the men there. Even Sane, Artemis is betrothed, and Than dance with her. But Reuben is never to be seen. Although he is never found dancing with anyone else, she can't help but to feel empty and alone among all the people here. With low spirits, she graces her dance partners with a sad and lonely yet genuine smile, which somehow makes her even more beautiful in the eyes of Reuben, who watches from a distance. It's Beth's dance with a young elven lord named Eloine Alheim when she first notices Reuben staring. The song isn't nearly as long as it feels, but to her it didn't end soon enough. Instead, as it continues repeating verse after verse, Beth grows anxious, hoping Reuben will come and sweep her off her feet. Upon the ending of the song, Beth rushes through the crowd looking for Reuben once more. 
but to her dismay, he vanishes once again. Tatiana, tired of dancing, trudges toward her after finishing her dance with Sane. Stopping before her sister, she grabs her hand. Let's go find Reuben, she forces with a sigh and half a smile. Okay, Beth responds, staring at the floor with a doleful smile. The two sisters go about searching for Reuben, finding him gazing out one of the large windows overlooking one of Kelsic's many rivers. He looks more downhearted than I do, Beth mumbles, stopping for a moment. Reuben can see both of them in the reflection of the glass, but does nothing to evade the two girls. Go get it over with, Tatiana tells her sister. Beth marches forward and stands at Reuben's side, trying to find what he may be looking at. There the two stand for the rest of the ball. It's the unspoken words that bind them together, the strange act of being side by side that cuts the loneliness out of their lives. For the two hours they stand there in silence at the window, knowing they have each other and nothing else is needed. It's not that they don't want to talk. They both do. It's something deeper, something telling them, it's okay, don't fret, I'm here for you. Maybe for reasons neither of them can quite understand, they can't be more than just friends just yet, but maybe just being friends is all they need. Time flies by in the comfort of their presence. Only one thing is written in stone that night. No matter what the cost, no matter what the struggle, they are going to be there for the other whenever they can. I don't understand what Beth sees in him as a friend or otherwise, Tatiana mumbles to herself before storming off. As the time for Artemis Orlean's coronation comes closer to hand, the music filling this joyous atmosphere stops. Hundreds of people begin shuffling around as the coronation song is starting. The 24 members of the Queen's Court take their stand against the wall behind the Queen of the Land of Kelsic. Her long flowing dress is the same signature color she always wears, icy blue. But unlike her daily dresses, this one is complemented with a short white cap and matching gloves. A silver crown rests evenly on her platinum blonde hair, two sapphires sparkle dancing around the purple ruby set in the center. Standing tall and patient, she waits for the ballroom to quiet and for her daughter to make her way to the stage. Reuben and Beth turn from the window to watch as the crowd of people split, forming a straight line to the queen. Slowly walking up from the center of the room, Artemis Orlean, future queen of the land of Kelsic, starts for the stage. Heads turn as the path opens before her as each elegant step brings her closer. To no one's surprise, her mother, Kalkia Orlean, the current queen of Kelsic, is already on stage awaiting her daughter. Than, Tatiana, Fadar, and Jantis turn from where each of them stands to watch the future queen make her way to the stage. Even Artisan, who hides up in one of the ballroom's large windows, looks down to view the starting of the coronation. Sane grins from one pointy ear to the other, only stopping to ask himself if he really doesn't like her or not. Once on stage, Artemis Orlean looks down to see her loving father, a man who has taught her so much as a child, but as of late has been seen very little in her life. A pleasant smile forms over her father's face as he encourages her to take her position by the queen. Nervously, she turns to face her mother, forcing a smile that makes some in the crowd hide a snicker. The two lock eyes, Kalkia Orlean is beyond proud of her daughter and the steps she is taking. Taking Artemis's hand into her own, the queen turns to the audience. My chosen daughter and your future queen, the queen expresses with an enormous smile before leaving her daughter alone on the stage. The eldest of the queen's court staggers forward, in his hands a white pillow with a silver tiara resting upon it. 
The tiara and the coronation are a symbol of the lifetime commitment that will now rest on the princess's shoulders. Once a certified princess of Kelsic, she is always a princess of Kelsic. Only death or her own child can end that. Artemis, like her two other sisters, has always been a princess. But now, she is about to become the only current princess of Kelsic, a title placing her in line to be queen. Your vows, if you please, the old elf asks with an endearing smile. Confidence fills her presence as she firmly steps forward, her heart set on becoming a queen that can better Kelsic and rule in her mother's stead. Now facing the audience, she begins, My dear people of Kelsic, since the emergence of the free people of Azerus, giants, elves, humans, merfolk, fauns, dwarves, goblins, and gnomes have all struggled for peace. Our distant kingdom of Bursh has since become a beacon of light and proof that all eight races can live together in unity. Bursh was the first government to rise from the first great war. After it, Kelsic was born from the elves. With great humility and courage, the forest of Garvin has likewise served as a protector of all that is good here in Azerus. As the chosen princess and future queen of the land of Kelsic, I am proud to proclaim a newly found alliance with both countries. It is my hope that together we can bring about the peace our ancestors once shared in together before the great war separates our kinds. May all of you find peace and joy in this new found alliance. Despite her motivating speech, the princess knows the only reason her mother agreed so quickly to this new alliance is because, like many others, she can foresee the oncoming war. With goblins invading Garvin, Bursh, and the Mountains of Dwee, it would only take one other country to turn the entire continent into a battle for supremacy. After a few seconds pass, allowing Artemis to catch her breath, the queen steps forward and proceeds to give an even longer speech, highlighting the life of her daughter, how she came to choose her over her other siblings, and how proud of her she was. Then finally, Calcia Orlean removes the tiara from the pillow and places it on her daughter's head, officially crowning her as the future queen. Delegates from the Kingdom of Bursh, the Forest of Garvin, the Mountains of Dwee, and Upper Kelsic burst into applause, causing the entire building to echo with their delight. A murderous intent suddenly sends a chill down Artisan's spine, but despite being three stories up, he can't see anything out of place. Everything from the foreign delegates to the elves of Kelsic remain cheerful and applauding. Sane can't help but feel strangely proud of his future wife, queen, and hopefully someday his friend. Yet something leaves him feeling uneasy and threatened, as if a looming presence is unhappy with the accords Artemis brings. Immediately, he takes action and marches over to Artemis, kissing her on the cheek. I don't know what, but something has me on edge about this gathering, Sane relates to the princess. Sane sends a guard who happens to be nearby to grab anyone trustworthy he knew to protect the princess. You two from Bursh, you should go congratulate the princess, the elven guard commands. Um, okay, Reuben hesitates. We'll see her tomorrow, Than reminds Reuben. The guard looks Reuben in the eye, dread and fear welling up inside the elf. I think we should go see her now, Than. We should, Than asks. Did you notice that guard seemed on edge? Reuben then asks as they leave to join her side. A little. I don't know for certain, but I think her life might be in danger. What made you ask those two? One of the guard asks. If anyone here is unbiased and wants the princess to live, it's those from Bursh. Didn't you hear the princess? It's the only place on Azarus that's welcoming to all races. 
Good thinking. How about those two, then? The guard points to Tatiana and Beth. Two humans from Garvin. Let's keep looking. Vadar then finds his two girls. Shouldn't you go pay tribute to Kelsic's new princess? He asks rhetorically. But Fadar, we'll see her tomorrow, Beth points out. No, you should go now. Um, okay. What was that about? Jantis asks. I heard one of the guards saying our newly appointed princess might be in danger, Fadar clarifies, his wisdom telling him this based on the looks of the guards. Oh, Jantis expresses. Artisan quickly turns his head over to the princess, immediately noticing the three humans and the dwarf closing in around her. Then he sees the real threat. Merfolk, hidden in the crowd, pretending to be elves and humans, each one waiting for an opportunity to strike down the future heiress of the land of Kelsic. Nothing unusual happens any further that night, although the murderous intent never dissipates completely. The growing number of powerful knights and guards surrounding the princess keeps the threat at bay. Thank you for listening to The Legend of Azerus, Dragonborn, written by Corey E. Slane. If you like this content, consider buying a physical copy on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Also, you can become a supporter. Support the podcast with a small monthly donation to sustain future episodes. Thanks again for listening, and tune in next time for more chapters of The Legend of Azerus, Dragonborn.